Welcome to our Christmas special part one. I'm your host, Emma Fabriguet, and I'm joined today by members of the YDS team, Hugh, our GQ outreach officer, and Kelly, the YDS marketing and communications director. Hey. Hello. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording from here today. Hugh and I are from the land of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording from the lands of the Jar Jar Rung peoples. So I'll let you guys give a brief intro about yourselves to our listeners so they can know a little bit more about you. Hugh, if you want to go first. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Emma, I'm the outreach and research officer on the Global Questions team. And I reckon that I might have the best position in the whole group uh, because I basically have an excuse to go on really nerdy deep dives into the issues and stories that our fascinating guests talk about. Uh, and it actually counts as being productive. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but I also just finished my second year of a Bachelor of Security Studies at Macquarie Uni. So that's me. That's so great. And Kelly, what about you? I'm the Marketing and Comms Director at YDS, which me I actually think I have the most fun job <laughs> at YDS. <laughs> or maybe the most stressful. I'm not sure. Every time I think, oh, maybe this is fun or maybe this is just stressful. But, you know, my job is to make YDS seem sexy to everyone else and, and for them to want to be involved in the things that we do. So that's basically my job description. Um, I don't think anyone else knows what else I do. So, uh, but in my real life, I study law and arts at Monash University. I just finished my fourth year, so hopefully I'll be done soon. I live in Bendigo, and I also work with our local multicultural services, so working with migrant and refugee groups here. I'm still scarred, the fact that you use sexy in reference to YDS. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to push my sexy agenda, okay? (laughs) Okay, thanks, guys. So... Basically, for our Christmas special, we wanted to bring on members of the YDS team to give a quick recap on the most memorable pieces on international news that happened this year, and also to allow us to have a quick discussion on the topic. So let's get into it. Kelly, if you want to go. So, okay, I have to preface this by saying that I realize that this might not be a topic that affects every single person, okay? But the question was, what do I think was memorable? I think personally to me, what is extremely memorable and I think also relevant to international relations is actually Prince Harry and Meghan Markle leaving the royal family. And I I feel like I may have just heard like a collective gasp from from the audience, um, listeners listening to this. But I actually, I want to say that, you know, given everything that's happened this year with, with COVID, with Black Lives Matter, with just like so many different things happening, how relevant even is the royal family? Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like Harry and Meghan leaving really epitomized that. And I have to say, like, I'm I'm a proud Republican here right now. And I, I also came from a former formal, former colonized country because I, I come from Malaysia too. So I already don't have a great relationship with the royal family as, as it stands. But I really think just showing how outdated the family is that they're two most modern and most attractive and, and most sort of interesting fa- royal family members, which was Harry and Meghan, let's be real, the others are totally boring duds. Like um, the fact that they had to leave and that Meghan experienced so much racism at the hands of the British press that she, I, I feel like when she married Harry, she had these great intentions of being like, 
maybe there's something I could actually positively contribute to the world through the royal family. And then just like, you know, everything just totally went downhill from, from then on. And the fact that she, this strong, powerful woman, couldn't do what she wanted to do. And then now with the new season of The Crown, now everyone's being reminded of the story of Princess Diana as well. It's just like, like, what are we even doing here? We're in the 21st century. Why do we even need a royal family that doesn't even contribute that much? Kind of interesting. You you brought up like how they were outdated. Do you reckon the royal family can innovate or is it like by its nature redundant or like from the past? I just don't see what role they could play. Like, I, I just I just think that when we think about the issues that are so important to the world right now, like climate change, um, refugee policy, like all these different things, like what the hell is the royal family going to contribute? Like, they're not going to part with their money. So what else could they do? For sure. And I so agree with that. Like, I agree that directly, I think that it's super outdated and it really exposes how certain sectors of our society are still outdated. But indirectly, though, like you mentioned briefly about um, kind of all of the racism that she experienced, I think that really served to expose really underlying racism that still exists because the amount of backlash that she had and assumptions about who she is as a person, what her character is like, basically all based on her skin tone was honestly shocking. Um, So that's kind of been an indirect positive thing. I say positive because it's, because like, like kind of like the BLM movement, although it's super harsh and it, it put a stark reality in front of us, it was so necessary. And I think that indirectly they were able to like, that's kind of what happened um, in retrospect, but definitely not as a direct means of um, them being there. Yeah, well, I think the personal cost to her would have been huge. Like, you know, the fact that you've been driven out of, well, Harry was driven out of his own family and and his own country. Like, I I think it's just honestly such a sad story for them. But I definitely agree with you, Emma. Like, in terms of the societal impact of having people realise the extent of which racism exists in, in our societies, I think that that was definitely a valuable thing. But I also think, like, why is it that we had to wait for a princess to, to have these kind of problems for us to realize this, you know? Like, it happens to everyday people all the time. So we shouldn't just wait around for it to happen to someone as high profile as Meghan Markle for us to suddenly start caring about racism. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, Hugh, off to you. Yeah, I think for me, uh, when we look back on 2020, obviously uh, we'll think of COVID-19 and perhaps the election of Joe Biden and things like that. But I think we'll also look back on this year as the moment that China's foreign policy shifted. Uh, So since the death of the former Chinese communist leader Mao Zedong in 1976, uh, China had been a relatively quiet power. Um, Chinese leadership basically sought to distance itself from loud ideological foreign policy uh, in favour of quietly focusing on its internal development. Uh, But what's interesting is that under under China's new leader, Xi Jinping, uh, the country has returned to a much more aggressive form of foreign policy in which Beijing seeks to essentially re-establish a pre-colonial model of Chinese dominance in Asia. And now, obviously, after so much time focusing on developing its economy, uh, China is a lot richer and more advanced than it was in 1976. What's interesting is that unlike the Mao era, a lot of its aggression has been in the area of diplomacy. Uh, So the situation has actually become so extreme that we have a term for it, uh, for this new brand of Chinese diplomacy, which we call wolf warrior diplomacy. So you might be wondering, well, what is wolf warrior diplomacy? 
Well, the term really came into being during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, when Chinese diplomats began responding to allegations in the West that China had mismanaged the spread of the virus. Um, but to give some extra background, the term actually comes from a Chinese film called Wolf Warrior 2, which is all about a Chinese soldier named Leng Fang, who takes on a lot of bad guys in Africa. Now, to give you an idea of the type of film we're talking about, its tagline was, even though far away, anyone who affronts China will pay. Uh, and that's a really good summary of what Wolf Warrior diplomacy has largely involved. Um, examples of Wolf Warrior diplomacy incidents have included an article posted on the website of the Chinese embassy in Paris, uh, which argued that care workers in Western nursing homes had abandoned their jobs during the pandemic, leaving their residents to die. Uh, the Chinese ambassador to the UK, meanwhile, has also developed quite a reputation uh, using his position to criticise British members of parliament and telling Chinese students in the UK to, quote, serve the motherland. The ambassador to Canada even went as far as to suggest that the good, uh, the good health and safety of Canadian citizens in China might be at risk if Canada doesn't toe the line. Uh, but the most recent example of wolf warrior diplomacy might also be the worst, uh, and any of our Australian listeners should probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, at the start of December, the deputy head spokesperson for the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs used his Twitter profile uh, to circulate a digitally manipulated image of a child having its throat cut by an Australian soldier, uh, referring to recent war crime allegations in Australia. The tweet was met with almost universal condemnation in Australia, and it appears to have brought relations between our two countries to a new low. There's a lot of debate about what caused wolf warrior diplomacy to come about uh, and whether the style of rhetoric is helping China at home or abroad. Uh, but one thing that seems clear is that the strategy is unifying opposition to China around the world and making it harder for countries who might want to deal with China to do so. Uh, but I would say to you guys, this is definitely an area to keep your eye on moving forward. Um, so then why is China using these wolf warrior tactics? It's a good question. Um, it's up for debate. There's not really a consensus on like what exactly is causing the behavior. But broadly speaking, there are sort of two main factors at play. Um, there's the internal factors. So Chinese diplomats appear to be getting promotions if they're seen to be defending China. So that might involve uh, giving a favorable interview, uh, saying something controversial in the press, uh, or doing uh, what the spokesperson uh, Zhao Lijian did and posting a controversial thing on social media. So it's a good way for their careers to get a boost. Uh, but externally, uh, the Chinese government, as I mentioned earlier, seems a bit anxious about the way it handled COVID-19. Uh, and that anxiety seems to be behind a lot of those comments that they've been making publicly. Uh, and often they'll lash out at the same Western countries that criticize China uh, for its response to COVID. And it also seems that it's possible that the Chinese leadership in Beijing doesn't fully understand uh, the kind of expectations that exist in Western democracies. So it's possible that it thinks that it's actually pushing back against China's enemies uh, when in fact it's only building a larger coalition of countries and populations that might be opposed uh, to its policies. I think it's really interesting that you you bring this up because um, I, I've actually drawn a lot of parallels between China and the US this year in terms of diplomacy. Like I would say that the U US was pretty aggressive in, in terms of its diplomacy internationally and it's never been afraid to say what it thinks. Of, of other countries and you know like even Trump calling the coronavirus the, the China virus I would say that that is just about as aggressive as what the Chinese diplomats are doing and so I think it's not a new thing to have this this sort of style of diplomacy it's just that now it's being targeted against them I think it's interesting yeah you bring that up um 
certainly you're right. Trump called it the Wuhan virus, the Wuhan plague. Um, it's interesting though, like a lot of the same anxieties which seem to be motivating the Chinese leadership also appear to have motivated President Trump. So uh, he obviously didn't handle COVID very well either. Uh, and so it's very convenient for him to pin that on China. Um, so I suppose you're right. There, there has been some aggression in the West, but I also think uh, if you look at take Australia as a case study, uh, Australian diplomats are pretty famous for, until recently, trying to tiptoe around issues that might be offensive to foreign partners. We saw that with the Indonesia relationship, for example. Australian diplomats, uh, diplomats being very careful about what they said. So it's just, I think it's quite jarring in Australia to see, after all that, all those years of being polite, uh, to see like a tweet like that go out. I think it's probably yeah a bit shocking to the Australian public. Well, it's certainly not a good time for Chinese-Australian relations. Let's just say that. Right. 100%. 100%. Well, you guys both kind of touched on the topic that I want to speak on. And the major event that was most memorable this year to me was the force, passion and the impact of the Black Lives Matter movement. So just to give a quick recap, um, the BLM movement was founded in 2013 after the murder of Trayvon Martin, gaining momentum as a hashtag, calling for a revolution in the obvious continuation of racial discrimination, not limited to the United States, but the entire globe. Its mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local powers to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state in vigilance. And the ongoing police brutality throughout 2020 saw the murder of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, Daniel Prude, Stephen Clark. The list goes over 190 names. Um, the BLM protests in 2020 were not limited to the US. They happened all around the globe, all the way here in Australia, exposing our very own discrimination against Indigenous Australians, for which our history has stripped them from their lands and stories. And so I want to take this time of the segment to highlight that I, as a white individual, cannot speak for those that are being oppressed, but I can use this platform to once again bring awareness to this ongoing struggle that is not just a passing headline and shouldn't be, but it's a reality that most of us are privileged enough not to experience. And so what this year has taught me was to have a deeper look into my own racial biases, question and confront them rather than push them aside because it's uncomfortable to face the truth and speak up when your friends say something that isn't right, raise awareness on microaggression and elevate the voices of who we have so long suppressed. Yeah, it's kind of a very much darker topic and much heavier, but I, I just wanted to talk about that because if you're gonna remember anything about 2020 is that I don't think that the important, important movements that have gone past should be part of the past. There should be something that you've internalized and you can implement in your daily life. Definitely. I think that something that is, is really difficult about being someone who cares about, about movements and, and, and social justice as well is that sometimes it's really easy to think that things don't happen in my own backyard and it's, oh, it's an American problem. Like, you know, oh, this, like what? They're just crazy because they have guns. Like, you know, we don't have guns in Australia. This isn't a problem here. And I think that it's really important for all of us to really take care of our own backyards and, and realize what's happening, even as small as our own neighborhoods or our own towns and suburbs and, and just be connected to, to the people who are here. So I think that we should really, really just be aware of, of what we should do in our own lives as well and not just online. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, Kelly. Like, it's a, There's sort of that contrast between online and like real life. I guess, Emma, I was wondering, do you think 
there's much room for like online activism in like that space because obviously that helps bring attention to other issues in other countries like in the US or do you think it's better to like focus I don't know IRL IRL real life like I think it's both because I think we're such an interconnected uh, society in terms of um, the internet. I think the internet consumes us completely in terms of like even doing uni online, like we're constantly on the internet. So what you surround yourself by virtually, in my opinion, is the same as what you surround yourself by in reality. And even though it seems small, but like if you have Instagram, actually look at your Instagram followings and see how many people of color you follow and or like activists you follow or different voices you follow. Because if you're only connected to, let's say, white voices, you're only echoing that and you're so like untouched by the rest of the world. And I think that internet presence has a lot of impact that we don't think that we have. And I, and I totally agree that sometimes you think, oh, just because I'm going to post this isn't going to do anything. It's like a little ripple, but a ripple can become a wave and... So yeah, I think to answer your question, I think internet uh, internet and online presence is just as powerful as IRL. So what do you think like our role is, I guess, as people who are involved in YDS and mm. similar student organizations and as young people as well? Well, I think first and foremost, it's about increasing the voice of those that should be heard. Um, so like I was saying in my segment, it's important that we're not speaking for others um, and it's important that we're bringing people on on our platforms to raise their voices and to talk about what they're suffering and what how, what they're, how they're feeling. Um, so in the case of when uh, the BLM movement, uh, you know, started to peak uh, the, in 2020, uh, I was lucky enough to have two amazing women come onto the podcast um, and they uh, they talked about how they had perceived the BLM movement, both of them women of color. And it was fascinating to, to listen to them and to, and to hear their personal experiences because I think that things don't resonate as much as when you're talking from the heart and from personal experience. And I think it's different for YDS um, if we're just addressing topics that we're reading about and then, you know, reiterating them. I think our role um, and what we're, we're trying to do is to increase awareness about things that are happening in the world, but also doing it in a very authentic and original and unique way. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if anybody has any final comments, feel free to go now. I think, I think a lot of people have been saying that 2020 has just been an absolute disaster. And to be fair, it has. And it's been devastating for a lot of people. But at the same time, I feel like... I've learned so much. And as we've said, there's been so many interesting things that have happened this year, specifically in the field of international relations, because that's what we, you know, we talk about here at YDS, but also in the world more generally. I think we've learned a lot as a collective society. And I really, really hope that we take these lessons into the future. Hmm. Yeah, me too. I hope we don't just forget about the year and move on. Yeah. Yeah. In, in general, um, like you said, Kelly and you, like 2020 has been challenging but also great in its own way i just wanted to say thank you both for joining me on this recap of 2020 and thanks to our listeners for all of the support you have given us this year be sure to check out our socials and be ready for a part two of this christmas special coming to you next week from other members of the yds team bye 
See ya. Have a great Christmas and holiday season. Hopefully next year will be better. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.